Are you searching for ways to strengthen your relationship with your partner? What do you need to do in order to have a happy and healthy relationship? It is important to have behavioral flexibility in every relationship. By understanding the psychology of relationships, you may improve your relationships. Dr. David Snyder will discuss all of the patterns, dynamics, and roles men and women play in forming great relationships in this interview. This will help you in understanding the concepts of love and relationship dynamics. All right, welcome to this interview. We have a very special guest, Dr. David Snyder. David's a, a real household name in the world of NLP, in the world of hypnosis and, and influence, and, and also around attraction relationships too. So a very versatile skill set. And, you know, I, I know you've got a fantastic history in not, not just doing this stuff, but developing things. You've really been at the cutting edge for the past, what, 20, 30 years, I guess. It's getting there, yeah, I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, but, but thank you so much for joining. I'm first season. I'm, I'm level, I'll be, lift, I'll, be, I'll be level 55 in April. Well, you look great. So, <laughs> it's like Chinese medicine, isn't it? <laughs> you know, formaldehyde in my food, but that's a different issue. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so first of all, like, yeah, again, a huge welcome. But what on earth got you into, like, the whole, you know, behavioural, the psychology, um, NLP? What led you to that to, to, to begin with? Well, growing up, I, I, was, uh, I was not blessed with uh, an abundance of social skills, uh, physical prowess, or good hygiene, for that matter. <laughs> uh, needless to say, I, I often found myself on the uh, losing end of most forms of influence, everything from being bullied to being lied to, to being rejected by the people who I most wanted uh, to accept me and like me. And, um, and so I kind of, after being rejected for like the 20th or 30th time or, or, or being manipulated into being the scapegoat for something, mm. um, I realized that I, I had to change something. And I, I literally, I remember this day, I think it was 11, I, was somewhere, I can't remember the exact, I think it was like 11 or 12 years old. I'm, I literally remember sitting in my bedroom saying, I'm gonna figure out how to be irresistible. I'm gonna figure that out. I, I, and that launched a mission for me and it, and it became a, a, really a quest for empowerment, a quest for the ability to, to, to influence on every level from the martial to, and, and the physical all the way up to the mental and the emotional. And I didn't realize at the time where that was going to take me, um, but that was kind of the, the impetus. And, and so I do a lot of healing work now, which is interesting, but if you'd asked me back then, you know, if you'd have told me 30, 20, 30, 40 years later, I'd be, you know, in a room eight, six, seven hours a day, shoveling other people's shit, um, <laughs> metaphorically, and sometimes literally, depending on how they respond, um, I'd have laughed at you. Um, and, uh, it just wasn't on my radar. All I really wanted at that time because of the, of the upbringing that I had and the social experiences that I had is all I wanted to do was be cool, kick butt and get chicks. <laughs> I love that. Just segregate. You know, <laughs> you know, and not necessarily in that order, whatever worked, I, you know, that's where I was going. <laughs> um, and everything that I studied uh, and I studied a very broad range of stuff uh, was designed to satisfy those, to, to solve those problems. And I would I would dive into like hypnosis, and they'd say, "Well, you can use hypnosis for this, this, and this, but it, you can't do this." And I'm like, "Damn it!" Because I want to, you know, they say you can't make people do things they don't want to do. You can't, and I'm like, "Darn it!" Right? And and I was like, "Because I was a kid, right? What did I know?" 
you know, but for some reason there were certain, there were certain skill sets, there were certain disciplines that the minute I, like, you know, I call it my Snyder sense, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah. Right. It's like, there's something deeper here. And, and I followed that. I don't know why it wasn't logical. I had, I, I had no, at that time I had little to no resources to do it, but I just libraries and home study, you know, little $5 and $10 homes, but anything I could get my hands on in these various areas of human influence and, and remote influence and, and martial arts and energy and, and, and all these things. And what's interesting is if you go long enough and deep enough, what you think are, are these, these, these individual, sorry, my, my, uh, my screen is screwing with you, but you, know, you have all these different channels of information and you think they're just separate lines of thought. And if you go deep enough into them after a period of time, it starts to do this. Mm until it's all one thing. And you start to realize that these, these disciplines that on the surface seem completely discrete from one another are actually at the deeper level, all the same thing. Yeah. And that's kind of what led to the, the, the technologies and the systems that, that we have today is that as we started to make these connections, we started realizing that, you know, we, we, we'd shovel tons and tons of dirt to find one little radioactive nugget, right? That was like <laughs> the, the thing that made the difference. And after a while, you, you start to collect a little bag of these little radioactive nuggets. And then one day I looked at these nuggets and I realized something. They weren't nuggets. They were like Legos. No. And you could put them together in different ways to build different things. And so when you start to peel back the, you know, get beneath the hood of a lot of our systems, they go back to a few core radioactive Legos. And so I started to just, I just started using these things as I acquired them and started working with them out in the real world because you can't do anything in a lab. You know, it's nice to have, it's nice to have the lab to kind of say, well, look, look, go this direction out in the field, but it's not until you take the things out of the lab and put them in, in the actual field that you start to figure out what's the difference between theoretical knowledge and applied knowledge, what actually gets the, uh, gets, cooks the rice out in the real world. And, and so I started doing, I started to become very, very successful in martial arts, in, in, in my, my social and, and romantic life, my professional life. And, and I just, and lo and behold, I started sharing some of these things with people who seems, believe it or not, had seemed to have similar questions. And I started sharing these things that I discovered that worked for me because I didn't do any of this shit for anybody else, right? Uh, I, and I tell my students that, I got to tell you right up front, I didn't develop this stuff for you. I did it for me because I had things I wanted in my life and, and, and things that were my needs and my desires weren't being met. And, and I, was gonna, I was determined, I was gonna do whatever it took to become the person who could have those things. And that's what it becomes. You have to become somebody who can have those things. You know, a lot of people, especially when we talk about people in human influence professions, human behavior professions, they're looking for the magic words that make other people do stuff. And there aren't any. The, the magic for getting people to do what you want is becoming the person for whom they want to do it for. Right. And, and, and it's and trying to control every single person around you. And, and in the context of dating and romance, it's the same thing. Trying to connect with every single person is exhausting if you're if you're not, you know, if you're dealing with yourself, because one of the pro, one of the things you'll discover if you haven't already and, and anybody who's, who's on this this course will discover is that the harder you have to work to maintain or you know, to get in a relationship with somebody, as a rule, the harder you have to work to stay in it. I think it was a, a dating coach, um, Annie Lala, I think is, I, I keep giving her credit for this. Um, but she used to say, and she might still, relationships that work tend to work from the start. 
And, and, and the idea behind that is, is if the more you are, the more alike you are, the more things you have in common at the beginning of the relationship, the less you have to change yourself to be with that person, the more likely you are to be with that person long-term. Now that doesn't mean you don't grow and evolve and, and you wear down the rough edges and whatever, but the heart, the more you have to change yourself to fit somebody else's, you know, change your key to fit somebody else's lock, the more you're going to have to work to maintain that because those people are not going to change long-term for you. Although there are some studies that show there is some degree of change that happens, but I, and I'll, I'll, I can talk about that a little later. Um, but so again, I had to become that person. When, and when we talk about influence, the ability to change and mold yourself, we call that behavioral flexibility, is one of the single most important factors in being able to connect with anybody, being able to relate with anybody. But at the same time, you have to be able to, you have to know who you are and what is your core. You know, and, and how far are you willing to change to be, to get the result you're looking for with the understanding that if you if you change to a certain degree, you're going to have to keep working to maintain that. Mm-hmm. Right? So true. And I love, love what you said about becoming that person, because it is so true. You know, if you're not looking after yourself, if you're not, you know, looking at who you are and developing who you are, you know, you're going to miss out. It is, it, like you said, it doesn't just affect, you know, just your relationships, it's your work life, it's it's your connections, your friends, friendships, family, everything. Mm-hmm. So it's got this huge tie in the middle of it. It's mm-hmm. so, so true. I think as well, like you, like you were saying about um, going into a relationship that, with someone who's similar to you, so you've got the interest, so you've got that mini foundation. <laughs> Otherwise, you're in that place of like, well, why, why don't you understand this? Or why isn't this working? Or why is, you know, you're pulling against each other rather than working together in, in that relationship. So I love that. Another thing that helps is having a similar credit rating. <laughs> yeah. Studies show that people who have similar credit ratings tend to have more successful relationships. Gosh, yeah, it, it makes sense because you think about um, uh, is it the most the, the things that couples fight out fight over the most. One of them is money, so mm-hmm. having that totally makes I, sense. I guess it's a reflection of values and, and how you you treat things. Yeah, you, you make such a good point because one of the things that made me disillusioned with the uh, the attraction seduction pickup artist world as as I experienced it was that I was like, look, I'm spending all this time and all this effort memorizing these routines and these scripts, mm-hmm. these little gambits to, to trick someone into liking me. And, and it's like, well, sooner or later, I'm going to run out of these and they're going to actually meet me. And mm-hmm. then I'm screwed or not, as a case may be. <laughs> so, so that was when I had... One way that. or another. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I had that realization, that was the point where I began to pivot and think, yeah, there's somewhere deeper we need to look. Yes, behavior makes a difference, what you say and how you say it, obviously, but it needs to be rooted in something. It can't just be that super. You, know, you need to know what you want and who you are. And, and that's largely one of the problems. Again, I spent a lot of time in that community. I, I mean, I was a member of that community before anybody even knew about the community, you know, yeah. way before Neil Strauss came along and, and kind of opened the doors to that. I was I was a lurker in the hallways, and, and um, some people could think of me as a historian for that that time period. But um, but one of the things that you see over and over again, this concept, like going back to this whole idea of who you are as a person, mm-hmm. one of the things that was very prevalent, in addition to the the scripts and the patterns and the routines and the gambits and and and, th- and things like that, was this concept of peacocking, which is to to dress and be and and behave in a certain way that kind of sets you apart, that attracts attention. 
And the problem with that concept, it's a valid concept. The problem is, is that if your sense of identity, your sense of self isn't strong enough to support those outlandish clothes, you wind up having the clothes wear you rather than you wearing the clothes. And so you look out of place and you don't have the frame and and the sense of identity to, to make that all fit. And, and, and that's one of the big things that, uh, that we have to really think about is who are you? What do you want? And, and let me just do a little sidebar real quick. There is this idea that we should just be ourselves and that, well, what if you're an asshole? (laughs) What if your way of being consistently alienates people? Well, first of all, you have to realize that you're the problem and then you have to choose to change. Right. So this whole idea of just be yourself needs to be examined a little bit. Right. Um, We need to become the person that can have the kinds of relationships we want to have, which means by definition, we have to be willing to change. And and so this whole idea of, you know, when we say be yourself, yes, but be the self that you want to be that gets you the life you want and be willing to change accordingly based on the feedback that the world is giving you, right? And, and somewhere you find, you find that happy medium between what makes you happy and how the world responds. It's so true. So a little story, backstory. When Joan and I first met, it was a hypnotherapy, um, like a hypnotherapy class. I was learning, first timer, and he came to show off basically. <laughs> Like no hypnotist ever does. No, no, no. I know I never do. But it was so funny because it took us a year's worth of friendship before we actually got together. Mm -hmm. And we were thinking like back, you know, we kind of went on a date back then when we first met and friends owned each other. Mm -hmm. And it was like basically because we weren't the person. We weren't, we weren't in that state. We weren't in the right place. We weren't, um, uh, you know, emotionally evolved enough to be in that mm-hmm. place to actually have a relationship. And sometimes, uh-huh. and sometimes just having that awareness going, okay, if something hasn't worked, <laughs> you know, if, if, if you're seeing a pattern repeat, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's that mm-hmm. common denominator, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I call it dating the same person with a different face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so true. So, so true. <laughs> But yeah, but you guys, again, and people, two people can come, can come together at a time in their life where they're just not right for each other. Yeah. And as time evolves, they, they, they go through life experiences, they transform and they become two pieces of a whole. And, and, and that's a beautiful thing when it happens, you know, just because someone's in your life right now that, that for some reason you're just not messing up doesn't mean six months from now, you're looking at someone who's gone through a, a radical transformation or you have, and now those pieces fit, yeah. you know? Yeah, I think it's like everything, I think I've said this before around dating, becoming so superficial and very Mm -hmm. um, impatient, you know. I blame social media for that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's almost like impatience as well. You know, we've got Amazon Prime, we've got things like um, takeaway apps and things, you know, all these things that we want everything now. And it's like, well, actually, sometimes it's okay to be prepared to to wait (laughs) wait until you know be patient with yourself to evolve and understand yourself and actually understand other people as well yeah human beings as a whole are not patient with themselves they're of all the human beings in the on the planet a person is least patient with themselves because their conscious mind sets an expectation about how long something should take and the unconscious mind is going "Ah, fuck you (laughs) 
Um, I should have given you my disclaimer. Politically incorrect language, colorful metaphors, swearing or the word boobies offends you. This is probably not the best use of your time. But Love that. we're in it now, so let's just play. <laughs> Give Give the beginning. <laughs> but there's a, a really core concept that, that you mentioned. And I know a lot of people watching will be like, come on, give us a sip. But a, a, an important thing you mentioned is that the idea of knowing yourself, knowing who you are and knowing what you want. And mm-hmm. Maybe the way we've lived for years, definitely in recent uh, generations, people are very alienated from themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like we, we're gr- growing up and we're given these scripts and roles and hoops to jump through. And they, they weren't designed for us. They were a, a copied and pasted, one size fits all, best mm-hmm. guess of, of culture, right? So it's not bad, but it's not tailored. So how, when you're working with someone, would you help them to, to find themselves, to, to create that connection with their own self and, and Absolutely. See, see through the layers, see through the filters that were installed and actually get to the truth of the matter as it currently stands? Yeah, many of our programs are actually designed specifically for that. In fact, our identity by design system. Uh, interesting fun factoid that one of our one of our flagship hypnotherapy training programs. It's a five day crash course that lets you just rock hypnosis anytime, anywhere, under any circumstances. I mean, we have it on record. Our students hypnotize. You know, twelve of our students hypnotizing one another with complete success in a hotel lobby, undergoing renovations next to an active jackhammer. What? <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> Anytime, anywhere. Lines at airports, lines at start. We don't care. We'll, we'll create change anywhere we go. But the interesting thing about that particular program, it's called the Identity by Design process because there's seven stages. First one clears general negativity, stuff you didn't even know you had. Second one uh, uh, targets blocks that have secondary gain connected to them, reasons why you might not want to change. So it gets rid of those. Then it teaches you um, how to change the voice in your head so that it builds you up instead of tears you down. It installs default driver states that actually make you more attractive and more confident and more willing to approach. Uh, Then it, um, we teach you how to sanitize all the negativity from your past. So when you look back on the past, you only remember it in ways that make your life better. Mm. And we take that entire template and if you know anything about Bruce Lipton's work on epigenetics, we install that entire sequence at the genetic level so that it becomes a template that your DNA follows. Oh, and we teach you how to build in the qualities, characteristics, and attributes of people you admire. Now, that, that is one of the most powerful transformation processes on the planet, and it's fast. And you can and I, I have people going through it in as little as seven minutes once they understand how to do it. But what most people don't know is that entire sequence was originally designed as an inner game process for aspiring pickup artists. No way. <laughs> it was designed specifically to teach insecure, socially remedial guys and women in some cases how to become the person they want to be so they could approach people with confidence and with value and, and, and have value and, and do all these things. But when we deployed it on, on people in workshops, the scope of the change that people started going through like their whole lives would change, like everywhere, work, home, everything. We said, this is, this, is, this is too big to just keep in this little niche. And so we took it into the clinic and we've been rocking it ever since. It's, it's, it's amazing what happens when you go from one end of the process to the other. Um, but it's really all about redesigning yourself yeah. from the inside out, from the, from the core of, of what you learned from your, your, your families, from your, from your siblings, through culture, through religion, and cherry picking what you want to keep 
what you want to get rid of, what you want to add, and what you want to build. Mm. And, 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 and it's very systematic. So to, to the short answer to your question is, yeah, we got to do that. <laughs> the how is, is, is our seven-stage identity by design process that we use. Yeah, it's also like um, allowing people to gain that awareness of themselves that they are at that stage, that they can change. Mm-hmm. And, you know, going through a process where they can actually give themselves that permission to say, mm-hmm. right, okay, I'm allowed to be who I want to be. Yeah. I'm and the problem to be this person. <laughs> and the problem, of course, is, is that most people don't get to that point until they've suffered enough. Yeah. So they've, they've run smack dab into that relationship brick wall or that social brick wall, that professional brick wall. And they, and they, they reach the point in their life. I just can't do this another day. Mm. And then, then they're, then they're willing to work and do just about anything to get a different result. And that's one of the tragedies, you know, there's a small set of outliers who are a little bit more proactive, but the vast majority of humanity, they wait until it's just, they just can't take it anymore. You know? And, and for, you know, if they look long enough, it eventually finds them, I think, or I hope anyway, that's why I, that's why I do a lot of stuff for free. So people can get at least a handful of techniques that they can, they can create a change with. And then if they decide they deserve more, they know where to go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, we got to, we, and, and sometimes we don't know, you know, what we, what we want changes from year to year, you know, we're, we're, we're society and culture and religion and family feed us so many things we're supposed to want and when you peel back the layers those things don't make us happy and that that cognitive dissonance is what really screws a lot of people up because they want to be accepted by the people they grew up with they want to be accepted by their peers but that's not what makes them happy so true it's so so true i think um uh, you know even looking at like my background i wanted you know i, I was an accountant before <laughs> going into relationships and dating mm-hmm. it's like okay well to be successful, I need to be in corporate. I need to be a director of a company. I need to do this. And it wasn't anything to do with, well, that's what I want to do. That's what, that's what, you know, fires me up. I love working with people. This, it was nothing to do with what I wanted. It was like, okay, how do, how do I make myself be accepted or loved more or appreciated or, you know, right? It was all these different things rather than going, okay, what is it that I want? <laughs> Who am I? <laughs> getting back to those basics (laughs) but I think there's another thing as well you know when you have that awareness you become that person that you want to be you're more connected with yourself absolutely with relationships I think you can only connect to someone as deeply as you are connected to yourself as well so I'd be interested like how's that changed your relationships and the way you connect with people I think one of the things that the words that will inevitably come up, it's more women speak than men speak. But one of the words that comes up uh, when we talk about connection is this word called intimacy and vulnerability. Now, intimacy on a male term usually means sex. But really what we're talking about is a, a willingness and an ability to be vulnerable, yeah. to express sides of ourselves that um, we feel we're going to be judged for or we're going to be, you know, uh, put down upon. And, and we're always searching for that, that, that ability to connect. When we talk about connection, that's really what we're talking about is a feeling that in the sense that we're accepted for who we are, we can share these things that, that are, are the deepest, most sensitive parts of us um, without fear of getting a knife stabbed in our, you know, we, we, we take our armor off and get stabbed by the very thing that we, you know, we handed them the knife, basically, you know, mm-hmm. and we're human beings are moving through the world desperate 
for that sense and that level of connection and often running west looking for a sunrise trying to find it um and there are some some very fundamental principles that govern connection with people uh one of the things that is is you have to have you, you have to be willing to to be open and vulnerable but men and women kind of go about seeking that intimacy in, in slightly different ways um i deal with a lot you know in in my fields i deal with a lot of very successful females uh female entrepreneurs things of that nature and so these people have, have adopted to live in a more corporate environment they've adopted a lot of alpha tendencies mm-hmm. one of the, the things about females when they like somebody is they go on a quest for emotional intimacy and so what happens is like on the first date, they're sitting with a guy that they really like that they think has potential and they open the floodgates and give them their entire life story. And if you can see what's going on inside the guy's head, it would look like this. <laughs> you can imagine a fire hose just right because because men, the, their, their enculturation, their evolution is such that they're, they're, they're chastised, they're penalized for showing vulnerability. And so when a man gives vulnerability, which is usually after sex, by the way, um, they do it in little bits. Yeah. They do it in little bits. And so what happens is he will, he, he'll, he'll talk about his car. He'll talk about his money, his vacation, all that cool mega guy things that he does. Right. Because that's safe. And it, it, in his eyes, it raises their status. What she's looking for is that intimacy, that vulnerability, that that willingness to share things. The problem is, of course, he's not giving enough. She's giving too much. And they're both feeding each other a diet of the wrong thing. Mm. Right. And so one of the reasons I like to do co-ed workshops is because uh, it's important for both genders. I don't care what your sexual orientation is. Right. Um, Both genders to understand how what the other person is doing, what their intention is, and how it's being interpreted by the other the other person, the other gender. And it's high comedy for me watching the looks of stunned shock and people. Really? Right? <laughs> because that's how that's how you create connection. You you bridge that gap. There has to be a common language and a common understanding and interpretation of what behaviors mean and how people go about satisfying those behaviors. Whereas a lot of times, if you go to a, you know, if you're a female, you go to a female dating coach many times to learn how to attract men. And most of the time it's the man's fault and vice versa. You go, guy goes to another guy, learn how to pick up and you get the man's point of view and you don't get the understanding of what these behaviors mean. Yeah. And so we, tr- we have to facilitate that. We need to, un- both sides need to understand what the other side is doing and what their intention is behind it. So when I when I talk to women and I coach them, you got to you got you want to be the guy's cheerleader a little bit. You want to um, kind of dial if you really like the guy, dial back a little bit on the full disclosure. Okay, because he think you know you you're trying to just connect. He thinks you want to get married, right? Because the the flood of of information coming at him. Look, Jonah's like. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So, and again, I, I only, I only came across these, I didn't come across these things in a book. Mm. It was from observing humans. That, that interacting. Was question is, is were there any like experiences? Was it just an accumulative thing over time or were there like some light bulb moments where it's like, no, this is what's going on. 
They don't know. No, <laughs> no, I stuck my foot in it a bunch of times. Um, and there, there was, I, I've spent a lot of time, whether by the universe's intention or just my hormones, uh, exploring sensuality, sexuality. I spent a lot of time in alternative lifestyle communities. And that was really an eye-opening experience for me because I got to observe human beings from the third person from, from meat to, to intimacy in, in very, you know, uh, obvious circumstances. And I got to have insights that, that I wouldn't have had any other way. Um, but you know, when you start to watch the dynamic, the patterns of interaction, you start to, you start to be able to extrapolate what's going on here. Uh, of course, there was a time when I had an, an estrogen imbalance. And so I grew a set of ovaries, um, <laughs> but and that helped, uh, I got better. But, um, uh, but yeah, it, it, it was, it was just a, a, an accumulation of, of little, like just kind of being a fly on the wall or being part of that dynamic and just instinctively saying, okay, this is getting me this result. This isn't the result I want do something else. Mm-hmm. And after a while I started to see with relationships and in my relationship specifically, uh, and then watching other people's dynamics, I started to see the same patterns over and over and over again. I said, okay, these, the patterns are what's true, regardless of the rationalization they give you or the, the, the reason they say they're doing it. This is the pattern is what's true. And it's true enough to be true, which means 50 per 51% of the time or better. This is the dynamic that's going to go on. Now that doesn't mean that you, you, you give up situational awareness and sensory acuity because there's a 49% chance something else could happen too. But if you just come in with the, okay, what's the same from relationship to relationship? Once you understand those things, then you can kind of relegate them to the background, let the unconscious mind kind of handle that or be, or, or at least deal with it when it comes up. And now you can focus on the other things that are unique or discrete within that relationship. But human beings are, when we talk about connection with human beings, we're talking about the quest for intimacy and acceptance. Mm-hmm. With, the, with the feeling that we're going to be okay. And, and human beings are desperate for that. Now, what's cool about the human nervous system is that it is the world's largest organic antenna. And we create inside of ourselves a set of beliefs and checklists about the way the world is and the way the world is supposed to be. Now, we, re- we work from the way the world is supposed to be even though it's the way the world is that usually screws us up. Right. Um, and again, if it, from an NLP perspective, there's a, an almost incalculable number of cognitive filters that are pre-conscious, uh, subconscious and conscious that, that modulates this rea- this, this illusion around us that we call reality. And it isn't, we are as divorced from reality as, um, you know, punches from Judy or whatever, you know, I've got to come up with some weird metaphor that I can use, but the bottom line is we live in a hologram and we project out into the world, a representation of the world inside of us. I call it the way the world is supposed to be. And that's our map that NLP likes to call our map of reality. But what's interesting is that when we try to communicate that internal map inside of us, that, that world inside of us, we have to remove as much information as we can, pass it through all of these filters and fit them into words and then spit those words out. Now, what's cool about that is that when the the words that come out of a person's mouth 
are a literal key to lock fit to every filter in their nervous system, all the way down to their deepest emotional core. And so the moment a person hears their very own words coming back to them, they have no choice but to orient on the source of those words. So the first thing that happens is you get their attention. And attention is the currency of relationships. And when that happens, when a person's very own words come back to them, it triggers emotional connection. It triggers a desire for deeper connection. And and the person starts to give you more and more self-disclosure. Um, human beings are like sonar or radar, you know, sonar radar, you, you move through the world setting up these little, these little pings, right? And then every now and then something it, that ping hits something and it bounces back. Well, human beings are doing this all the time and they're literally moving through the world searching for themselves. And the balance they're looking for is they want somebody who is different enough to be interesting and fun and same enough to be comfortable and safe. Mm, that's so good. And at the end of the day, the comfort wins out. Yeah. So, you know, Bart Baggett, the uh, guy who created the Grapho deck, used to say, uh, opposites attract, but seldom stick. And so one of the things that, right, and so one of the things that we have to do is we have to know who we are, what we want, and we have to become the person who is magnetic to the people who have similar things. And the way that we do that is by creating a lifestyle that is satisfying for our for ourselves on a solitary basis. In other words, we can't move through the world looking for somebody to complete us. Yes. Okay. My experience with with women and partners has been women don't want to be the center of your life. They want to be part of a man's life who actually has a life. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and and that's one of the things when you want to. It, it's easy to get it's easy to get into a relationship. It's not so easy to keep it. And to keep the, the the passion and the and the joy and the spontaneity and the spark, and it's because guys have a very different way of approaching relationship than women do in terms of what got them interested in the first place. And if I start talking about some of these things, it's going to raise some hackles in the audience out there. Men, once they're in a relationship, they tend to identify themselves in from within the relationship. And what that means is I have a partner, I care about her in a healthy relationship and I want to do whatever makes her happy. So I give her gifts. I give, you know, I I send her out on her birthday. I do all the predictable things. And that's the problem because the moment you move from uh, the romantic adventurer to the stable provider, you become boring. Mm And that's the kiss of death for most females in a relationship, right? They won't necessarily leave the relationship because it's stable. But if something flashy, some flashy thing in the, often the, often this eye catches their eye, they may step out for a bit and then come back and let you raise it. But, you know, um, <laughs> and again, not everybody's like, but th- it, th- this is the dynamic. And I learned this from, from, I learned these particular principles from some very infamous people. Um, and so one of the things that has to happen is, and, and relationships have stages, you know, you have the dating stage, you have the fiance stage, you have the, the newlywed stage, and then you have soccer mom stage, right? And the problem is, is that each stage of these relationships, a different set of hypnotic operators kick in, a hypnotic identity was installed in you from the time you were a, a wee baby all the way up to, you know, semi-conscious adult. 
And these things are on a time release. The moment you hit a certain milestone in your life, a new identity turns on. And with that, a whole new set of relationship dynamics emerge. So the fastest, most powerful way to, to keep that spark is to date your wife. Be the person that made them want to marry you in the first place. And the same goes for the female. You got to be the same person that made him want to marry you, right? But we don't because we have these, these preset identity states that are triggered at certain points in our relationship. And they, and they happen without our consent. They happen without our conscious knowledge. And 20 years later, looking back is where did I, what happened? Right? It's really, it wasn't your fault, right? It was programmed into you before you even realized that these things were a thing. But now that you realize it, it is your responsibility for cleaning that shit up. Right. Now, I'm guessing it's difficult. I hesitate to say impossible because so many things aren't, but I imagine it'd be difficult to preempt all of those little time release landmines in our own psyche, which, which is where the awareness that we speak about and that ability to step back and, and, and view our identities, not as something that's set in stone and as something mm. that is fluid. Uh, changeable and programmable and, and something we can take control of rather than be the victim of. Well, the first, the first thing, just like any, 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 you know, eliminating any problem is knowing it's there. Yeah. You know, and if you, and if you understand that these things are there going into a relationship, you can inoculate against them. Law of physics says that we are going to become more like our partners as time goes on anyway. Mm. You can see that when we do face readings, you can take pictures of people, you know, 30 years ago in their relationship. Right. And they're, they're very, very different looking people. 30, 40 years later, they look like their brother and sister. <laughs> right. Because there's a there's a you know, our, our emotions and our thought patterns actually mirror the laws of physics. So we talk about entrainment. We talk about two frequencies finding a third commonality. Well, this is happening all the time. That's the art of connection. Mm. Right. If, if every molecule and every atom in our body is seeking to do that and every cell in our body is seeking to do that, then obviously every, every other part of us that's built of cells and molecules is gonna find a way to do that. So this drive, this need for connection, it isn't just a psychological thing, it's a physics thing. Yeah. You know? And when we understand that, we can tap into these powers and we can tap into these abilities and do really cool stuff. But there are certain phases that our relationships go through and, and behaviors and, and perceptions arise from that. Now, a lot of the problems that we have, are, I blame Hollywood for and, and romance novels. You know, I think they're one of the biggest reasons we have so much divorce today, especially romance novels. Right. Because if you think about and, and by the way, most guys will never go wrong adopting the five uh, characteristics of the classic romantic hero. Those are just common, very strong, very masculine success traits, and they will make you more attractive uh, to, to, to the opposite sex. Regardless, women who adopt these things will tend to be much more attractive as well, but they'll tend to intimidate the beta males, <laughs> right? Um, which is not, you know, again, you have to decide yeah. what, what, what your, your happy place is. Um, but one of the things that happens in romance novels is these two people meet, it's a moonlighting event, you know, there's constant bickering, which is really just foreplay, right? It's that shot across the bow. She's, you know, she's testing his manhood in a verbal sparring match and things of that nature. She's nodding, Jonah's like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this rings a bell somehow. <laughs> right? And yeah, well, that's one of the big problems is, is again, the way, and going back to, and I'll try and close this loop on, on 
men and, and women in terms of a relationship. But um, one of the things that happens in, in romance novels is they, they, they fight, they meet, they, they, she tames him through the power of love and her magic hoo-ha, right? Uh, which is a thing, by the way, in, in romance circles. They call it the theory of the magic hoo-hoo, right? Which is basically this underlying belief that a woman's lady bits are so powerful that it tames the savage beast and no other hoo-ha will do. Easy as that. In the novels it is. One more second, I gotta kiss my wife goodbye. She's going on a trip. Oh. <laughs> Love you. All right. Um, as soon as she's gone, I'll call the strippers. But anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, so, so, and you can, and if you, if you, uh, if you want to do some research on this, there's a, there was a book that was released five, uh, quite some time ago, but it was called A Billion Wicked Thoughts. Billion Wicked Thoughts. Okay. Billion Wicked Thoughts. And it was it was a book by some uh, renegade uh, programmers who wanted to see what people really did when no one was looking. And what they did was basically they followed the search history of like one billion people wow. to see what these people actually searched on. And the, 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 the things they discovered were both entertaining and shocking to say the least. So um, for those of you who want to understand human nature a little bit better, um, what people do in the dark when nobody's looking, um, good book to, to kind of preface yourself. But here's what happens in, in, the, in the classic arc of a romance novel. <clears throat> Two people meet, they spar, they go through a courting process, they fall in love, they ride off into the sunset. And then what happens? The story ends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Think about your average relationship. You meet, you go through some electrifying experiences, you go on adventures together, you settle down, boredom steps in, and the story ends, mm. right? And so what happens a lot of times is that meta structure is often imprinted into, you know, our, our psyche, you know, and we don't realize it's happening. But, you know, 51%, last I looked, over 50, still 50, 50 51% of all literature out there is romance novels. Wow. Right. And so the four, the other 49% of, of, of literature encompasses everything like the Bible, the Quran, you know, the complete works of Shakespeare. Right. Uh, and, but there's some, some powerful, powerful understandings that we can glean from what these romance writers understand. They understand the psyche. They understand that that psychology of desire mm -hmm. and, and excitement. And so we can take many of these things and don't take them as a pure, be this way, but take these attributes and use them to, to build a self that we like, but that is also charismatic and, and uh, triggers people to want to be part of that life. So, so create a life that is worth living for you. If you were perfectly happy, solitary, you go on adventures and doing all the things that, that make you feel fulfilled. Because when you do that, you will now attract the people who can share that life as opposed to looking for somebody to complete you. Now, in relationships, kind of closing the loop on relationships, when a man and a woman get together and they become identified in that relationship, men are very linear thinkers. They think, I love you. You love me. I want to take care of you. I want to do nice things for you. And so they start to be, they start, stop, they, they, they become the provider. They, they provide a fertile nest or a safe nest, a safe haven. But they stop going on adventures too. They stop, um, they start being predictable. 
And, and so what happens is men, the, the, the women are happy with that, but there's still a part of them that, that wants to go out and play, that wants to be naughty, that wants to go on adventures. And because a woman's psyche is such that she's taught, now this may be changing from the millennial generation forward, I can't, I can't say, but the average woman's psyche is they're designed to compartmentalize their whole life. So they have soccer mom, they have working mom, they have homemaker, they, whatever, whatever boxes that, that are part of their life. And at the end of the day, they're, they're so focused on taking care of everybody else's needs that there's enough time left for her, for that part of her that is still that young girl that wants to go on the adventures, the ingenue, the, you know, the fierce uh, vixen that wants to go out and, and, and slay dragons herself, you know, and, or, or, or be swept off her feet or whatever. And that's the part that the, the desire that's that squelched the longest grows stronger and it will seek to express itself. So one of the ways that you can, you can keep that part happy is to be the person that made you fall in love with them in the first place. Um, women love spark. They love chemistry. They love electricity. And so one of the things that women love to do is they like to poke you. They like to poke you and <laughs> right. Because and it's not that they're trying to piss you off directly. It's they want to see if you'll poke back. It's the sparring they love. It's that bickering, right? Think, you know, if you ever watched, if you ever watched the bickering going back and forth between the leading man and the and the and the leader, it's it. That's what that's that's what sparks that electricity. But men become more subordinate. I want to say subordinate, but more supplicative. They're, they're they don't want to make her mad. They don't want to say something that's going to piss her off. Right. And so they start to, to pull back on those more um, in your face. Don't, you know, push back behaviors because they're afraid of hurting the person. Well, again, there's a difference between bickering good naturedly and and and, stay, you know, and but also you need to stand your ground. And this is where I'm going to get some shit. <laughs> because one of the things that women love to do is they love to win. And here's what I mean. A woman, a woman loves when you say no to her, which is good. Look at her. She's nodding, Jonah. It's true. It's so true. Women love when you say no to them because it does, it means you're not easy. Right. And so it becomes a game for them. Can I get him to do this? Right. And so what they do over time, it's insidious because what happens is over time, they'll start to get, if your boundary is here, right? They'll just play until they get you to go here. And then they'll bicker and they'll bicker until they get you to go here. And then here. And 10 years later, you're doing everything she says because you just don't want to deal with a ha you know, happy wife, happy life, right? But in the meantime, they've sown the seeds of their own demise because now you've become predictable. So true. Because it, it, it sort of henpecks away at the alpha male. So, so would, you, <laughs> would you say then that the, in average that women love to win, but they hate to be with a loser, which is yes. dichotomy. In, in yes, its <laughs> because again, whether they, whether women nowadays cop to this or not, we evolved uh, to, to the, from the creatures we are through aligning ourselves with the strongest, most dominant partner we could find. But the average female is approached and, 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 you know, from a social, if, if, you know, just from the, um, from just a purely biological perspective, 
women are sorting for the healthiest, most dominant partner because that's going to ensure what? Stronger young, the survival of the children. They, 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 the women bear the reproductive burden, right? That, that dynamic never goes away. It just sublimates. And it's, and it's gentle and it's expressed in a more socially acceptable way, but it's still there. It never goes away and it never will. It never will go away. So being more primal is never a bad thing, but understanding how to express that primalness in a socially acceptable way is, is, is the trick. Um, so I kind of open loop myself here for a minute. Um, <laughs> it's finding that healthy dynamic, isn't it? It's always a healthy and unhealthy version of things, isn't there? Mm -hmm, very much. And here's the problem is that primal side of the female, um, is sorting for that first. Mm. And so in a sea of beta males, if there's one jerk who, who, who obviously is emerging as the strongest, in spite of themselves, a woman will find themselves becoming attracted to it. Mm. Even though every socially, you know, socially cultured part of them is like rebelling, there's still this primal, you know, that, and you'll see it, you'll see it. And women will constantly be testing. That's what I was getting at. Women are constantly testing to see who will man up and who won't. And it's when you say no, that you demonstrate masculinity, you, you demonstrate strength. Now, how you say no can make a big difference too. But the idea is you, you create a boundary and you set it. And then she becomes determined to make you say yes. And that's what excites her. It's the fight, not the victory. <laughs> Right. And so one of the best ways that you can continue to stimulate this dynamic is never be predictable. Or don't be predictable all the time. Right. Set your boundaries, call them on your call them on their bullshit. You'll actually deepen the relationship. So, right? You know, I got I, my wife is was a man eater before she met me. Right. She's still a man eater. That's why I'm so skinny. I was. She ate it off. But again, and it's especially, and it, women have it harder now than probably ever before, not in terms of the opportunities. Women have far, you know, there's still inequalities. I get that. Mm -hmm. But women as a, as, a, as a whole have far more opportunities, far more uh, choices. And, and, and most women make more than men now in, in many cases. There's four female entrepreneurs. Um, but when it comes to actually finding a partner, most of the women who are very successful corporately have to take on more and more of an alpha male traits yes. to, to, to do that. And that means that they need a, a, a partner who is potentially, to keep that, that traditional dynamic, they need a partner who is actually more alpha than them. And that is, sadly, most men are going the other direction. They're, they're not able to maintain these strong senses of boundaries, these strong senses of self. They, they default to being what society has said a man should be support, you know, a, a good you know, provider, uh, father, yada, yada, yada. And, and just serve, you know, take care of the female, do whatever you got to do. And, I, and, and so most men wind up being beta males. They wind up being caregivers and supplicative partners. Um, which satisfies the dominant streak in, in, in many females who, who have to adopt these tendencies. But long-term, it's not very satisfying. It's not very satisfying because at some point, a woman wants to just 
not have to make the decisions anymore. <laughs> they, they want a man to man up when it's time to man up. And beta males as a rule don't. They'll be the support, they'll provide resources, they'll do all these things. But at the end of the day, they won't be strong enough to let her let go. And that's that's something that that women want. They want to be with a partner, at least in my generation. I mean, maybe millennials are different. But they want to be with a partner who's strong enough that they can feel safe letting go. Mm. So, so true. Because I think um, there's something to be said around the chemistry of, like you said, an alpha female meeting another alpha male who can kind of, like you say, lead, say no, put the boundaries there. And it's almost like um, uh, knowing that you've got someone who's an equal who can take care of their shit and your shit. Yeah. <laughs> like you said, you can go, the shit hits the fan, he's got it covered. Right. Yeah. He knows his boundaries well enough to let, let let a woman handle her own shit. Yeah. But when the when the fecal matter hits the rotating oscillator, he's there. <laughs> yeah. Right? And vice versa. Right. And, and that's that's what you see in a lot of these romance novels is you see a strong, a passionate woman dipping in and showing that she can be strong. And that's one of the new paradigms. And, and, and it was it was one of the traditional paradigms, but it's been prevalent in romance novels forever. Right. Um, but again, because we've evolved as a culture, but biologically, we still have these other primal dynamics and these primal drives. And that quest for intimacy is really, um, it's always there, but there's other things that trigger attraction, mm. right? Um, we kind of went off away from connection and into these other dynamics, but oh, I hope that, still that's really useful. Stuff still related, isn't it, at the end of the day? And when we understand the biology and the psychology behind it, We've got an understanding of that connection rather than being like, okay, why isn't this working? Why isn't this wrong? You know, mm -hmm. and being able to understand it, you can have that deeper connection from that. Mm -hmm. There's some other things that, that I think might help uh, people watching this video as well. And again, don't believe anything I say, test it, observe it, see if it holds water for you. Um, one of the things that often happens is, and, and we, people have made fun of this, men, when they have a problem, they tend to hide in their cave. Right, women want to talk about it. We got this right? book. Right? <laughs> here's something. Here's a here's a here's a couple of little little caveats that that will help to, I hate to use this word in this context, but lubricate the relationship a little bit. A um, couple of dynamics that's often are some of the reasons why people um, don't connect or or want to connect but can't seem to make that leap. First one is understanding. Um, problem-solving dynamics. And what I mean by that is man comes home, well, male thinking is problem-solution, right? There's a problem, I'll fix it, right? Or I'll talk to my friends and their friend and his male friends will get, well, why don't you try this? Or why don't you try this? Or why don't you try this? Or why don't you do this? They'll offer solutions to the problem. That's male pattern-solving thinking. Female patterns or female problem solving thinking or female relating or is, is problem, handle it, talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> so what happens is Joe Schmo comes home from a hard day at work. Uh, Mrs. Schmo comes home from work and ta starts talking about her day and how she did this and how the asshole did this and he did this and he did this. And well-meaning husband says, well, why don't you just do this? And why don't you just do that? And why don't you just do this? Right. And he starts offering solutions and she's like, boom, World War Three. Why? Because she already fixed the fucking problem. 
She just wanted to express it. She just wanted to talk about it. She wanted to get it off her chest. Man's thinking, oh, she has a problem. I will save her. Wrong. Right? The secret is when a woman starts to express her day for you and tells her all the problems she has, she doesn't want you to solve her shit. She just wants you to listen. She wants you to signal that you got it, that you heard her, that you understand. You know the fastest way to do that? Repeat her words back to her. Yeah, face that loop. <laughs> okay. Love that. And let her speak. When you do something that pisses her off, right? And you apologize and she says she forgives you and then proceeds to bust your stones for the next 20 minutes about it afterwards. She's not still mad. She's venting. It's not, she didn't lie to you. She did forgive you, but she's got this emotional charge she's built up that she has to vent. And if you don't understand that it's a venting process, you'll think the fight's still going on. But if you just take it, realizing it's not about you, it's about her, right? You'll have a good night. I love this because I think, you know, you've got so many couples now as well working, um, uh, you know, changing their routines, changing their dynamics and their relationships. Suddenly they're having, you know, from eight hours a day away from each other to suddenly working together and practically having to deal, you know, perhaps mm-hmm. with kids, homeschooling, doing their own jobs, that tension's built up. And it's like, ah, that's the way that you can kind of understand of just being able to listen to each other, problem solve to, you know, individually mm-hmm. and deal with that problem together. Uh, yeah. I do you have to remember, to I'm sorry, you. go ahead, gentlemen. Oh, I do want to ask you, for the sake of equality, and not, <laughs> not for my own selfish curiosity at all. Not at all. What would you say is the the flip side of that coin? So let's say the, the male dynamic, and, and definitely how I've been, it's like, six months down like something will happen and I, I work through it and it's like six months down the line it's like yeah I was really struggling with that thing back then mm-hmm. Just the conversation it's like, oh why didn't you tell me at the time so because like, I was fixing it I was I was exactly doing that <laughs> women have to understand that see <laughs> so, women wow. women overthink everything yes <laughs> and that's what's fuck that's what part of my friends that's what fucks them up about men because we're just not that complicated right and so yeah, men won't talk. Men will talk about their problems, but they're usually just bitching, and 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 they're trying to work out a solution. Women, when they talk about their problems, they just want to express understanding and 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 community, right? They're not asking you for a solution. They just want to be heard. They want to feel supported, and 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 that's an intimacy tactic. If you think it, it's that it's that ability, and here's why they can do that. If you from a Chinese medical perspective. Men are yang on the outside and yin on the inside, which means their physical exterior is tough. They can, they can move a lot of stuff. They can lift a lot of weights. They can do a lot of physical things because they're yang on the outside. Women are yin on the outside and yang on the inside. That's why they can, they can deal with these, these deep level sharings and things of that nature because they're as tough on the inside as we are on the outside. But men, oh, inside we're, we're taffy. You know, we're like cotton candy on the inside. And so we have to protect the vulnerable parts, you know. Um, and and, and that, that informs how we relate to each other. You know, finding that level where both sides can feel safe to share without oversharing kind of a thing. And, and that's, that's based on the dynamics of the people in the group. But again, understanding that um, there are certain hardwired ways, again, there, for everything I say, there's going to be an exception, but let's start with what's 
most likely true in most relationships first, and then we can build on that. So first thing is when women talk to you about their problems, they're not asking you to solve it. When a guy comes home and he talks about a problem that he had, he may be asking for ideas, but chances are he's already talked to his buddies about it and he's already fixed it and he doesn't want to talk about it because it's done. As far as he's concerned, it's over, right? And you just asking him about it forces him to relive shit he didn't want to talk about, right? If you give them time and don't jump on them right away, they may eventually volunteer it, right? When they feel safe to volunteer it. Right. And that's the problem is most of us are, especially men, if if you grew up in my generation, um, we we were taught never to show weakness. We always had to be strong. We always had to be the person who could handle things and demonstrating any kind of vulnerability, anything that 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 we didn't win at right away or we didn't overcome or we're still in the process of that to most people. Is a, is a shine of weakness. It doesn't necessarily mean you're weak. It just, it, it, it's perceived that way. And so we have to, we have to figure out how to create safe spaces. I hate to use that word in this generation. We have to create that, that, that for, even for masculine men, they have to be able to express them. You have to create an environment where they can feel safe expressing these things without feeling like they're going to lose their standing in your eyes. Mm, because they're operating by how they think you perceive them. It's that non-judgment thing, isn't it? It's like, um, it's even like we were talking about this the other day where it's like, okay, you know, people have this big misconception around not being attracted to someone else if you're in a relationship because that's a big boo thing. It's not allowed. You know, what do you mean? You just looked at the that woman's tits over there. You know, how disgusting. You're only meant to look at mine. <laughs> and then Lily said to me. <laughs> but it's like you know there's this thing about like be the fear of being condemned for being Mm -hmm. honest yes very much it's gonna that's just gonna break that intimacy so yeah i totally agree Mm -hmm. around it's time divert but it's it's, it is creating that space of being able to share things that might be a little bit uncomfortable and normal Mm -hmm. you know society conversation but being able to be there hold that space no judgment Mm -hmm. And, and by the way, uh, one, of my, one of the wisest teachers I ever had, 97-year-old woman who had so much energy you could power a city on her. Really? Um, <laughs> we talked about judgment one day. She looked at me and she said, David, getting up in the morning is a judgment. Mm. It is impossible to not judge. Yeah. It is impossible to not judge. The question is, what do you do when you judge? What do you do about it that defines you? We are we, human beings are judging creatures. That's how we got to rule this planet. <laughs> okay, don't vilify the thing that 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 allowed us to be who be the kind. You know, for all our faults, there has never for for all the faults the world has, there has never been a better time to be alive on the planet Earth than right now. You know, those of you who remember something called the Middle Ages might understand, right? You know, I said this to my, my meetup group or my mastermind group the other day. He says, you know, there was a time when people had to walk two miles uphill to get a bucket of water and walk two miles back just so they could wash, cook, and clean. Now we complain we have to get up to turn off the television because our remote doesn't work. We've lost perspective on things. And, and that a lot of times dramatically uh, prejudices or informs how we relate to one another 
you know, and, and sometimes we need to, sometimes I think it, it would be useful for us to get back to understanding those primal drives and how to satisfy them in a socially acceptable way. Um, but in terms of connection, the things I see that are the barriers to connection are often what I call rules violations. Mm -hmm. And what that means is you have the same values, but the way you go about satisfying them or recognizing they're being met are different. Like the, the, the common, um, the common example I use in my, in my influence classes is you have person A and person B, and these two people are going to be in a relationship and you ask person A. So what's, what's, in, what, 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 what are the things you absolutely have to have to feel fulfilled in a relationship? And person A says, well, respect. I need, you know, I know that uh, you're, as you're someone I can relate to, if you respect me, and person B says, cool. So how do you know? How do you know when you're getting respect? And the person says, well, you tell me the truth. You know, you don't mince words. You, 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 you tell me what I need to know because it's the truth. You don't, you don't care whether it hurts my feelings or not, right? And, and that's how I know you respect me. Cool. So what do you think is most important in a relationship? Well, you know what? I think respect is important too. Well, well, how do you know when you're getting that respect? Well, obviously I don't want you to lie to me, but I also think that it's important that, you, you know, when you, when you tell me things, you take my feelings into account, that you don't say things that are going to hurt my feelings or or I'm gonna I'm gonna think I'm negative, you know, make me think negatively about myself. Even if it's something I need to know, you, you say it in a way that you know that doesn't make me feel like I'm a loser or I'm an idiot. Now, what do you think happens when these two people get in a fight? Oh yeah. <laughs> right? On one level, they're both screaming that the other doesn't respect them. Right? They both have the same value, the value matches, but their rules don't. Mm. So when you start looking at people's your values, it's not enough to know what those what those those things are, those building blocks. You need to know how you recognize they're being satisfied. So yeah. true. I mean, we were even chatting um, again, like probably last week, around the, around apologies. <laughs> we always get into these like psycho like psychological conversations. Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, even down to okay, what does an apology mean to you? How do you accept it? And it's like just taking time to actually see from each other's perspective, to be able to understand the needs. So if, I think it's that, it's that collaboration element. If you don't mm -hmm. understand things at that detailed level, how do you expect to connect? How do you expect to be fulfilled? <laughs> to, to give you a giggle, the, my <laughs> strategy of, of an apology for me is just don't do it again. I don't You don't have to say sorry to me. Just don't, I, I don't need you to grovel. Just, just don't do it. Here's, here's the magic mantra for those for, for you men out there. When you do something, I'm reading this book uh, that's that's about druids, and there's a lot of Irish, like on the on the audiobook is when you cock it up again, okay, <laughs> um, um, just look your look your partner in the eyes and say, "Honey, I'm sorry, I was wrong." Yeah. 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 And let her just vent on you for 20 minutes, and you'll probably get laid that night. <laughs> <laughs> from the mouth of babes <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. This, this has been awesome David Wait, do you have any other questions before we ask the final no I tell you this has just been freaking amazing like the insights and just having a bit of a giggle over it all has just been absolutely brilliant I know that so many people watching will just take away uh, so much I hope so. 
Because... So. Otherwise, they're going to string me up outside my house and burn me in effigy. <laughs> and you'll see at the bottom of the screen David's address now. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doxxed, God damn it. <laughs> but yeah, ask the final question. So whether you dip into professional experience, personal, I guess there's a, the line blurs, but what would you say is your biggest like personal insight, lesson, advice, the, the, the gem around love and relationships that, uh, that you find the most useful, the most uh, real for you? I think it's knowing who you are, what you want, to state your boundaries uh, and, and, and maintain those boundaries um, and move through the world living a life that makes you happy and figuring out what it is about this person that you care about that's worth fulfilling and how they and how they calibrate it right the idea is that we want a partner but even though that, that word partner sounds like an equal thing it's not it's an equivalent thing there are certain attributes that that women that men want from women and that attributes that men that women want from men and they're not the same they're equivalences you know, and I think it's important to figure out what the, you know, most men want a cheerleader. They want a combination of, you know, a playboy centerfold, um, uh, <laughs> mom and a cheerleader. Right. And, and by and large, we want to, we, as men in general, want to be the hero. Mm. Right. Women want to be equals. They want to be partners. They want to be included. They want to be, they want to be uh, heard, which is the big one. Um, one of the biggest, uh, this is something that I got from, um, I actually got it by, from a guy named John Medina who heard it or read it from a guy uh, who wrote, uh, what's his name? Um, he was one of the, he's the leading marriage and family therapist out there. He created, he's, he's featured in Malcolm Gladwell's book, uh, Blink, I think it was. Okay. Um, uh, John Gottman. This is a, I got this third hand through John Medina from John Gottman, and and Gottman created a, a software algorithm that could take a, a snapshot, a thin slice of a couple's interaction, like five or six minutes, ten minutes, something like that, and with a ninety-six percent accuracy or something like that, ninety-three, ninety-six percent accuracy, predict the likelihood of that that couple would divorce. Yeah. Right. So Gottman Gottman got this idea. He said, well, if I can write a software algorithm that can observe behaviors, both verbal and nonverbal, and reliably predict if a couple is going to divorce, can I write an algorithm that will search for a variable or variables that if this variable or variables is there, the relationship survives and makes it? And he found one. Ooh. He found one. And I have to, I'm going to state it the way I heard it. And then I will explain what I think it means functionally. He said, if the woman, or if the man can communicate to the woman in such a way that she feels he has heard, understood, and been influenced by her good words and intentions, the relationship makes it. Mm -hmm. Now, notice it did not say obey. Yeah. Right. How many times have you heard that it's, it's, it's been hurt. It's been said so often. It's a cliche. He just doesn't get me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Cause it's like women are speaking two different languages and they are men 
to, to, to lapse into my NLP side of things, there's this thing we call language patterns, which are equivalent to verbal expressions of psychological filters that we have. There's two big ones that, that I find come into play in male-female dynamics. Now, both, both genders use both patterns, but they have a preference and they lead with one over the other. Men tend to be cause and effect, which makes us very simple creatures. We see it, we kill it, we eat it, we go home, right? Women tend to think in what we call complex equivalences. In other words, something means something else. Everything means something, okay? And this is where the communication breaks down and the connection disintegrates between men and women. Men are very linear, very logical cause and effect. I see a problem, I fix it. I see food, I shoot it, I kill it, I eat it. I see a woman, I chase it, I get it. Hopefully I get consent and I don't go to jail. But, right? So when men do something, they tend to give you the reason why they did it that way. But what men don't realize is that for everything a woman sees you do, she's going to assign a meaning to it. It means something in her world. So take, for example, um, well, here, I'll, 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 use, I'll use an older story. Um, man's married to a woman for 20, 30 years. Have, they have a young son. He's 10, 10, 11 years old named Jack. Jack loves soccer, idolizes his dad. And wife, as, he's, as uh, hubby's leaving for work, says, make sure to get home for dad's soccer game today. Right? So he says, I'll be there. Right? Hubby goes to work, and you ever have those quintessential bad days where every single thing could possibly go wrong? Asshole boss, traffic jams, flat tire, speeding ticket, right? Soccer game starts at 4. He shows up at 5.05. He rushes up. He gives his wife a hug. Says, Honey, I am so, so sorry. This happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and that's why I was late for Jack's soccer game. Wife looks her husband right in the eyes with that look and says, if you'd loved your son, you'd have been there. Yeah. What you're seeing is direct conflict of cause and effect versus complex equivalence. Man gives a list of reasons why he did think the things he did. Woman assigns a meaning to it. Not being at the soccer game is equivalent to not loving your son. Now, that's a very powerful, very, you know, visceral example. But, you know, if a man leaves the, the toilet seat up, right? He says, I'm sorry, I, for, I forgot to put the seat down. Well, if you respected your, the women in your household, you would have remembered to do it, right? So all of a sudden, the toilet seat being left up is an assault on, fem- uh, on, on women. Meaning, one thing means another. Women tend to see the world through a web of meanings, of complex equivalences. Men are very linear, they're cause and effect. And if you think about human, uh, female and male evolution, it makes perfect sense. Women are far more socially adept. They're far more uh, tuned into subtle verbal and nonverbal cues, right? Because while the men were out hunting and slaying mastodons, the women were home by themselves and who they have to rely on, each other. So they had to develop very enhanced very, very powerful social mechanisms. They had to figure out when they saw somebody doing something, what that meant for them and extrapolate from those behaviors. Men, we didn't have to do that quite so much. We have to learn that skill, right? But we still, we still operate from this, see it, kill it. 
see it, he kills it. Oh, he loves me. He's bringing home food. <laughs> you see that? You see? So when women talk to men, they speak from their own map. They don't speak. They don't. They don't translate to cause and effect. They're saying, "This. This is what. This is what is what. What. What you did means in my world, and you obviously knew that." Well, no, they didn't, because we're simple. We left the fucking toilet lid seat up because we forgot, not because we don't respect women, right? But th this is one of the things that is a barrier to connection. You know, one of my old students used to make a joke. Uh, man and woman are getting ready for bed one night. Wife says, oh, I'm really thirsty. I could use some water. Husband gets up, goes down to the sink, gets a glass of water, brings it up, hands it to her. She looks at him like he's nuts. He goes, I don't want that. Because you said you were thirsty. I said, that's not what I meant, you idiot. I meant, I wanted you to look at me and say, I understand, honey. I get it. I too have once been thirsty. <laughs> right? Again, these are, we, we have fun analogies, but these, these demonstrate principles of communication that are implicit. They're inherent in the way men and women relate to each other. And just because we're modern people doesn't mean they're not there. They're there. And once you become aware of the structure of communication, now you have the ability to change. Mm -hmm. Whereas before you had that awareness, you didn't have the ability, regardless of what you might think. Without awareness, there is no choice. Yeah. You're stuck with what you got. Right. So closing the loop on Gottman, how do you communicate to a, a, your, your partner in such a way that they feel that you have been positively influenced by their good intentions that you actually heard them without lapsing into psychobabble. It's very, very simple. Use their exact words. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was brilliant. There is absolutely 0% chance of being misunderstood. Yeah, it's so fucking true. Yeah. So, so true. Oh my gosh, Rob, I'll tell you what, thank you so much. This has been so insightful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Glad I could help. So, Next time I'll have eyebrows. I didn't get a chance to darken my eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. But yeah, for people who uh, want to be able to find you and learn more about what you do, where's the best place for them to go? Well, we have a very, very prolific and very, very well, uh, a very popular YouTube channel. It's David Snyder NLP at youtube.com. And we have uh, going on 300 videos and none of them are short. They're average about 90 minutes to three hours, depending on what we're doing. Uh, a lot of content, so you can binge those to your heart's content. Uh, if you're interested in taking the relationship further, you're welcome to join our newsletter at www.nlppower.com. We also have, uh, if you see in the bio there, I have close to 20 different courses that we offer on everything from advanced hypnotic influence, hypnotherapy, trauma resolution, all the way up to romance, dating, sensuality, and sexuality. Um, stop by the website, sign up for our newsletter, come to one of our live events. We have a pretty active events calendar through 2021. Uh, so just go to www.nlppower.com or uh, David Snyder NLP at youtube.com and uh, pick your poison, pick, you know, whatever degree of, of uh, interest you have with us and build on. Amazing. Well, awesome. Thank you so much. Right. <laughs> My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Unlimited Influence. Reprogram your subconscious mind with Dr. David Snyder. Stay updated by visiting at www.davidsnydernlp.com and follow social media accounts. If you want to reprogram your subconscious mind, don't hesitate to call me at 858-282-4663. 
and we can talk more about what your mind has to offer. 